You're listening to Connection Church's podcast. What's up, church? How we doing? Everybody good? Everybody smiling this morning? Ready to go? Finally got some cool weather, right? So that's nice. Um, excited about this morning. Excited about what God is doing, what he's already done this morning. Um, excited about what he is doing. It's good to see so many people here uh, today. And, and uh, I just believe God's got something special in store for us. Um, I would encourage you, if you would like to check out the nine o'clock service, there's plenty of seats at that service. Um, I know as Americans, we kind of like our space. And so uh, there's plenty of space. We'd love to have you there. I preach better at nine anyway. So just so you know, if it's not, not any good at 11, it was, it, was, it was good at nine. That's what I'm going to tell myself anyway, right? And so, um, anyway, uh, but we'd love to see you there. Also, tonight, something we're very excited about. Tonight at uh, 6 o'clock, we're kicking off, launching, and starting uh, our Millen campus tonight. So that's going to be awesome. We're looking forward to getting that going and seeing um, people who are far from God being drawn close to him through that service and through uh, the services that are coming up. What we're going to do is we're have an information or vision meeting tonight. Then we'll start on Sunday evenings. Um, we'll start having a regular service at night. And then on Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter, we'll have our first Sunday morning service up there in Millen. And so we're excited about that, excited about uh, what God's doing. Also excited about this new series that we're in called Behind Enemy Lines. If you have your Bibles, you can turn them there to 1 Thessalonians um, chapter 1. We're going to be going through the book of 1 Thessalonians as we look at uh, this series called Behind Enemy Lines. If you go behind enemy lines, uh, what you can find out is the strategy that the enemy uses. Um, you can find out um, ways that he's going to come at you or attack you. And what we want to do in this series is sort of go behind enemy lines and look at some of the lies and some of the ways that uh, Satan, our enemy, he comes against us. Or some of the lies and things that we just believe um, to be true, either about the church or about ourselves. Um, and about even the kingdom of God, you know, God's kingdom, his, his uh, kingdom that he is establishing and that we, he will establish. So we want to look at these laws and begin to expose them and really challenge them um, as we get into this today. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 is where we're going to be today. I want to read it and then we'll jump into the message. It says in verse 1, Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and and we continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's pray and get going. God, we thank you so much for your love for us and your grace for us. God, we pray right now that you would come and meet us in this place, God. Lord, we need you. What we need right now is is you, Lord. We need to hear your voice. God, I pray that the words I speak would be directly from your heart. God, just come in power. Let your word be living and active in us as we know that you've promised it to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. When I was, uh, 
about six, seven years old. Um, I was at my grandfather's house. And you got to understand, my, grand, my grandfather was um, like second to God to me. He was someone I looked up to very much and really loved uh, dearly. And um, it, we, I was at his house one day, six or seven years old, had a little bow and arrow. We were out in the backyard shooting a bow and arrow. We were always hunting and fishing, doing all kinds of stuff together. And I was out there shooting a bow and arrow into a hay bale that he had in his backyard. And I'm shooting the, the bow and arrow. I had about four arrows. I shot it. I actually had hit the bale of hay a couple of times. And as I started to walk down there, I turned and or I saw um, something swarming around this hay bale. And uh, so I was like, well, I'm going to ask my grandfather, my you know, pops, if I should go and get this because those kind of look like bees. And so I said, pops, uh, there's, there's, there's bees down there, you know? And he was like, oh, son, just go on down there. Them bees aren't going to hurt you. And so I go down there to get my arrows. And when I get to the hay bale, all of a sudden, like these bees just swarm me, start stinging me. And so I just turn around and start running. And at this point, I'm like, why would you do this to me, right? You told me this wasn't going to happen. And so I was kind of like questioning, like, does he really love me, you know? And so um, anyway, I, I, I turned and I ran really quickly. And I got out of there. And, and because when we get stung by something, when something like that comes at us, when something like that comes against us, what we end up doing is we end up changing directions quickly. Like any, if you've ever been stung by a bee or a wasp or something like that, um, when it stung you, you didn't just hang around going, I wonder what that was. Like you took off, right? You got out of there. You went somewhere quickly. And, and, and same thing was true for me. It changed my direction. It changed um, the direction I was heading. I got out of there quickly. I, I made a correction. I got away from it. And I want you to see today that many times when we come to the word of God, um, that's what it does in our life. Uh, the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy um, 3 verses 16 and 17 that all scripture is God breathed. It is useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training a man in righteousness so he'll be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so it's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training. And sometimes when God's word corrects us, it has somewhat of a sting to it. It's somewhat, um, it doesn't always feel good. Um, it doesn't always make us want more of it in a, the way of, of, wow, that felt great. But what we have to understand is that when God corrects us, he corrects us because he loves us. Um, that word for correcting is actually um, a word that was used for gently setting a bone. So it's when God uses his word to bring us back into alignment for our own good, for our own health, for um, our, our best interest. And, and so I want you to see that today because what I hope will happen is that we will somewhat get stung today in a good way by God's word, that it would begin to correct us and we would be challenged to see where maybe is my life out of alignment? What lie maybe have I believed or fallen into? Sometimes we believe these lies because of our culture, a culture around us. Even our church culture can teach us that some of these things are okay. And today I want us to look at this lie that the church has bought into that idleness is okay. Many times what we see and what we see in the church is that there's really not many people who are working for the kingdom of God, who are doing things for the kingdom. And that's not really okay. That's not good. Uh, we need to come to the realization that that is something that has infused church culture and told us that, that we can just be idle about the kingdom and it's okay. I've got my salvation. I've got uh, you know my, my own self taken care of so I can just be idle with the rest of the kingdom. 
And so the challenge today is to look at our life and see, are we doing and becoming and doing the things that God has called us to do? Is God's work in us having effect in the world around us? If you look at this first chapter of Thessalonians and you look at the first verse, it says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and it says, to the church of the Thessalonians. I want you to see this because this is huge in and of itself. It says to the church, that word is ecclesia in Greek. And I don't think you're going to ever speak Greek, right? But it's ecclesia. And what it meant back then was any gathering or assembly. It later came to mean um, specifically a church gathering, a people, a people gathered in the name of Jesus. And I stress a people gathered in the name of Jesus because many times we look at the church and what the church is to us is a building. The church is a place. It's something that we go to. So we say, I'm going to the church, but the church is not, if, if this building's empty, the church isn't here. The church is the people. The church is you and I. The church is not um, just some sheetrock and paint. The church is us. The church is God's people. It's a group of people who assemble in the name of Jesus. And so I want you to see this. When you are in your connect group or if you are here in this gathering or if you are um, around the water cooler with a few Christians, there's the church, right? That's the, where the church is. And so when we look at this, I want you to see this. I want you to understand this, that that is the church. And the church is specifically set apart to do the work of God. This is the church is set apart by the Spirit of God, empowered by the Spirit of God to do the work of God for God. God has chosen to use the church to do his work. And so when we read these first few words in this first chapter, in this first verse, I want you to see this, that we are a people called to be set apart by God to do his work, to do the things that he's given us to do. And here's the problem, though, that we see many times. Most of us are content to not really be a part of what God's doing through the church, even though the church and God has told us that it is the hope of the world, that God has chosen the church to be his agent of renewal in the world. Many of us are content to just sit along on the sidelines and not be a part of what God is doing. It's time that that changed. It's time that we begin to get involved and begin to be a part of the work of God because idleness is not okay when it comes to the kingdom of God. We're called to be working. We're called to be a part of it. We're called to be doing things for the kingdom. It goes on and says that it's the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So first of all, he tells us who we are. We are a group of people set apart in the name of Jesus to do the work of the kingdom. Then he tells us how we become those people. I told you it's the Holy Spirit that sets us apart. It's the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, that empowers us to do those things. But it's only because of what it says next in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ that we're able to even come into the presence presence of God. See, I want you to understand this. I want you to get this. It is because of the love of God. It's because of the love of a father that we are able to come into the presence of God because God came to you in his love. He offered you a relationship with him and now you're able to come to him because through Jesus, he made a way for you to come to him. And so we're able to come to him simply because of the love of a father, the work of Jesus. And we're able to come into his presence. See, I want you to understand, I don't know if you're new to church or you, maybe you've been around church forever, 
But we come to God through Christ because God is holy. He is righteous. He's perfect in every way. We are not. We have what's called sin in our life. But Jesus came, took our sin upon himself, took our punishment for that sin, was condemned for our sin so that we don't have to be condemned. Now he's made us holy. He's made us righteous. He's given us the same righteousness that he had and has and has made it where we can come into the presence of God. And so it is through God the Father's love who gave his son that we are able to come into his presence. Now we don't have to cower in God's presence. We can come boldly before his throne, not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is and because of what he's done on our behalf. And so when we look at this, the first two things we see is that we're a people set apart by God because of the power of the Holy Spirit, because of the love of our Heavenly Father, and because of the work of Jesus. Does that make sense so far? Because some of you looking at me like you, you got gas or something. I don't... And, and so we're, we're, we're seeing this now, okay? The last thing in this section right here. It says, or in verse two, it says, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. Who does he thank God for? All. He thanks God for all. And see what that begins to show us and teach us and tell us is that no one's insignificant in God's plan. That we're all called to be a part of this plan. That God's work is through all of us who call on the name of Jesus, who Jesus is our savior. And so we see that God has called us all to be a part of this. So the first thing we see is we're not insignificant. We have a significant role to play. We have a part to play in this. The second thing that we see is that we all have responsibility. So God is saying you're, you're not insignificant. You have a significant role to play. And two, you have responsibility in this kingdom. Paul uh, elsewhere in some of his writings, he wrote about uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he compares us to the body, to a body, uh, the body of Christ. And he says that every part is important. He says that if one part's left out, the body's not complete. And you need to see that about yourself, that God's called you to be a part of this body, to be a part of the church, to be a part of this hope of the world, to, to become a part of, of this body that shows people the redemptive power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's called us to be a part of that. He's called you to be a part of that. And so if we take those first things that we looked at out of these first two verses, basically what we see is that we are a people who've been set apart by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the love of our Heavenly Father, and through the work of Jesus, and given significance and responsibility to impact the world around us, to work for the kingdom. So we are a people who've been set apart by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the love of our heavenly father and through the work of Jesus so that we can impact the world around us. That's what we're called to do. We're called to be working in the kingdom. We're called to be going and doing what God has done for us in the lives of other people. It's what we're called to do and to be. 
See, God doesn't just work in us and stop. God works in us. He continually works in us, but then he desires to work through us. Let me ask you this. Is God working through you right now? Are you, are you working in the kingdom of God? Are you, are you doing the things that God would have you to do so that you can help advance his kingdom? See, we're called to take back from the kingdom of darkness and bring it into the kingdom of light. Are you doing that? Are, are, are you um, being effective in working for the kingdom and doing the things that God wants us to do and to accomplish? Now, I want to be very clear. What I'm not telling you is that if you don't do these works, then you can't be saved or you're not saved. I want to be very clear that salvation comes by faith in Jesus. Salvation comes by faith in the work of Jesus, not by faith in our own works. We can never work our way to salvation. Our salvation comes freely. It comes through um, grace, which is God's unmerited favor, his unconditional love. It, it comes through our faith in Christ and what he's done. That is where um, salvation comes from. So I do not want anyone to come up and go, well, you preach works-based salvation. I promise you this, I will karate chop somebody in the throat if they come up to me and say that because that is not at all what I'm saying. Just be like, hey, right there, right there. And, and, and I'm just telling you, it's not how we come to, to salvation. We come to salvation through faith in the work of Jesus, not in our own works. But the reality of it is that we don't work for salvation, we work from salvation. We work because we are saved, not to be saved. And so this work, this work of God in us begins to cause us to do things for the kingdom outside of us. And so it becomes evidence of our faith. And so Paul goes on and tells us this. He shows us this in the next verse. He says, remember before God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So he gives us some ways to gauge how, how, how active we are spiritually, how hot we are spiritually. It's like a gauge, an indicator that tells us where we're at, how we're doing, what's going on, how well we are living out our faith, how well um, we're affecting the kingdom, how well we're living out as that set apart church that has come to faith in the love of a heavenly father and through the work of Jesus being set apart to do what he's called us to do. It becomes a gauge for us to see where we're at. And this is where I hope today we'll be able to see and maybe be corrected in what um, we're doing or where we've been or where we're at. But it says in verse um, three, very first, that it's a work produced by faith. See, it's not faith produced by work, it's work produced by faith. And so it's by faith alone in Christ alone, but that faith begins to produce work in our lives. Are you working for the kingdom? Let me ask you this, are the works of your life and the things that you're doing and the way you're, you're, you're helping advance the kingdom of God, is that proof of your faith? James said this in the, the book of James. He said that faith without work is what? Dead. He's not saying that you've got to work your way to salvation, but what he is saying is if you have a true saving faith, what's going to happen is there's going to be works that come out of your life. See, this is an indicator of where we are. Let me ask you this question. Is your faith superficial 
Or has it changed the inner man? Has it done something to the inner woman? Has it gone to the innermost parts of your being to change you? Because that's what saving faith does, is it changes your heart, it changes your very being so that you have different desires, different affections, different longings, different um, wants, so that you begin to do different things more and more. Paul will say this later and we'll look at this another day, but he tells them that this love they have and this, well, these works they're doing are great, but he says, grow in these, or do these more and more. What's he saying? Grow in this, grow, continue to grow in this. And he's asking and asking us this, you know, are, is your faith proof or is your works proof of the faith that you have? Because saving faith is going to produce different works in our lives. If not, then we need to analyze that. We need to look at that and ask the question, why? Why is that? That the works of my life would not indicate the reality of the savior of the world, the God of the universe living inside of me. Do they indicate that? Am I becoming more like him? Am I growing in that? I got a five-year-old Reed, he broke, his, he broke his arm on Thursday. This doesn't have a whole lot to do with the story, but he broke his arm Thursday night. And now since he broke his arm, we have two goldfish. He's got new clothes, all kinds of toys. I mean, it's crazy, right? He's just milking this thing for all it's worth. But he calls me this morning and I'm, I'm kind of doing the last final preparations for the message this morning. He calls and I, it was, I thought it was Susan. So I answer, I'm like, hello. He's like, hey, daddy. I was like, hey, buddy, what's going on? He's like, what you wearing? I was like, such a weird question, Reed. And he's like, uh, what you got on? What shirt you wearing? And I was like, oh, it's like a blue striped shirt. It's kind of checkered. And I'm trying to explain this to a five-year-old. And he's like, I don't have a shirt like that. I was like, well, I'm sure mom will go buy you one. I mean, it's no broke arm and all. And and so he's like, uh, well, I think I'll wear this shirt. And I'll be like, I was like, man, that's awesome. We're like twins anyway, right? I'm like, cause he's, he's about this tall and redheaded and, and I'm not. And so I'm like, we're like twins. And so he's like, okay. So I hang up the phone about two minutes later, it rings again. Hello. Hey daddy. I'm like, Hey buddy. He goes, I'm bringing you a sports jacket. And I was like, what? He's like, I'm bringing you a sports jacket like mine so that we can look alike. And I was like, oh, and I was like, I don't want to wear a sports jacket. And so evidently he, he has not made it to my office yet because I'm not wearing a sports jacket or else I would have been wearing a sports jacket. But anyway, he comes to me. He wants to be like me, right? He wants to look like me, dress like me, talk like me, do all that. And it's kind of scary. I have nightmares about what my children will be telling the therapist in 20 years, right? They're like, well, you just, uh, you know, and, uh, and they're daddy issues. But the reality of it is, and I realize this, no father is perfect, but this, this young man, he wants to be like me. And I'm like, son, you need to aim higher, like aim higher. There's better out there. And, you know, do, don't aim for me, aim for him. You know, um, all that preacher stuff you tell your kids. But anyway, it's, it's the reality of it is he wants to be like me. Do we have that same love and affection for our heavenly father? That we want to look like him, talk like him. We want to be clothed in his righteousness, his holiness. Is that part of our lives? Is that what we want? Is that something that's in us? Because that faith produces these works in us. It begins to change us. The second thing that Paul says there is he says, your labor prompted by love. 
So your labor prompted by love. So the first indicator is work produced by faith. The second one is your labor prompted by love. Because we can do works, we can do things, but it may not be from the right motive. The question that I would ask you is, does it come out of labor of love? Is it something that is prompted by love? Um, because with the, the characteristic of a Christian is first and foremost to love, to love God and to love other people. And my question now is this, do you do the things you do out of love? And that word for labor, it literally is like a exhausting labor. It's not an easy labor. It would be, it's exhausting. It's like I'm giving everything I have to this. And is that true of us? And is that motivated by love for God and for love for, for people? If not, then there's something wrong with our relationship with God. There's something that we need to look at. There's something spiritually that's not clicking. Um, and we need to look at that. I want to tell you a few things things that I believe can cause this. When, when we're not being motivated by love and love for God, love for our neighbor to labor, to do these things for them, something has gone wrong. And so I want to give you some things that I believe can be wrong. Number one, salvation. If that's not true in your life, we need to look at it and say, am I truly a follower of Jesus? Have I truly come into a relationship with Christ in a way that it has changed my heart and my life so that I begin to walk a different way? When we come to Jesus, we come in faith as, of him as our savior, but we also come to him in faith of, in him as our Lord. And faith and repentance always go together. Repentance is turning from our sin and turning to God. It's a change of direction. You remember the sting we talked about. It changes direction. When we realize that I'm going the wrong direction, it's a turning and a coming back. Have you come to that point of salvation in your life where you've given your life to Christ? Because if that hasn't happened, it only makes sense that you have not had the affection for God and the affection for others. Have you come to a place of salvation? The second one is priorities. And don't just throw off the first one and go, well, yeah, it's just my priorities. Listen, if it's salvation, let's deal with that. But sometimes it can be our priorities are so jacked up that we just don't even have time for what we need to be doing, what God wants us to be doing. Because our priorities are all out of line. They're all out of whack. So many times our families get second seconds or leftovers because we've given everything we have to our job or to other people and they just get what's left. Many times God is put in that same position where he just gets what's left over. Why? Because our priorities are so messed up. Another thing that can cause us to, to get out of step with God and be spiritually sick in a way is a lack of obedience. What's God telling you to do that you haven't done? What next steps he told you to take that you haven't taken? What's he called? Listen, the very essence of Christianity is to be a follower of Jesus. If he's called you to do something and you've turned your back to him and begin to walk away, there's no way you can be following. And so the question is, are you, have you been obedient to what God's told you already? Your next step is to become obedient to that. The fourth one is to look at it and say, have I been confused about my purpose? Our culture teaches us all around us that everything's about us, but it's not about us, it's about God. And I want you to hear this and understand this, that man did not create the church for man, God created the church for God and his glory. And so we need to see this, that this is our purpose. 
to be a people set apart by God who have significance, who have responsibility to do the work that he's called us to do so that other people can come into the same relationship with Jesus that we have. It's something he's called and it's a great responsibility. It's a great privilege to partner with God in this work. The last one is this, the last one is many times and, I, and what I see with many Christians is you don't feel worthy enough to be used. But see, Satan loves for us to buy into that lie that I'm not good enough to be used by God. I talk to people all the time who are like, well, I'd love to come to your church, but if I walk through the doors, the roof would fall down. I'm like, well, if it did, it'd be the builders, not you, all right? And I'm like, no, listen, this is, this is what we, who we need to come in the doors. We need people to, to walk in the doors who, who maybe you don't know. They, the church has got to change its message and let people know that, listen, God wants you to come. God wants you to be in a relationship with him more than you want to be in a relationship with him. Now come to Christ. You can take all that junk out of your life, take all that crap out of your life, all the past sin and all the past things and give you this right standing with God. But that's got to be our message in our heart. And you've got to hear that message. It can't just be something you mentally assent to. It's got to be something that you receive that God has made me worthy to be someone who works in his kingdom, not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done. I can do this, I can walk a different way. Why? Because he's given me a different way of living. He's given me life. I don't have to be bound to these things anymore. I'm no longer bound to my sin. I'm no longer bound to my past. I'm no longer bound to those bad decisions. I'm no longer bound to those past mistakes because Jesus has set me free to live for him. Those things are gone. They've been separated from me. They are out of my life forever so that now I'm able to be free. Now I'm able to walk in a new way. Now I'm able to truly experience what Paul meant in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 when he says he you is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. How can I do that? Because Jesus has made me new and Jesus has made me free. Thank you, Mark. So we have to see this, have to, have to understand this, that he wants to use us for his kingdom. He wants to use us in the, in the church walls, in our, in our gathering, whether it's greeting or with kids or prayer team or whatever it looks like, production, whatever it looks like for us. But he also wants to use us in the community, wherever we're at, to be his vessels, to be people who share the good news of God. Are you doing that where you're at, where you work, at the ballpark, wherever you are? Do people see that in you? Can they recognize that? Are you working for the kingdom? Can people see it? The last one that he says is work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. See, say our endurance comes from, it comes from hope. What's our hope in? Listen, our hope is in the current or the expectation of what Jesus is going to do now but also the expectation of what Jesus is going to do in the future. 
So as I look at this, our, my hope comes from the fact that I believe Jesus is working right now. And understand this hope is not like a lucky rabbit's foot type of hope or a cross my fingers type of hope or a, um, a buckeye type of hope. How many of you know what a buckeye is? Not Ohio State, but a actual buckeye, right? Put it in your pocket. It's like a little nut type thing. You go hunting. It's supposed to bring you a deer. I've been disillusioned by that as well. It didn't work all year. And so the reality of it is that, uh, that, that, that it's not that type of hope of, of cross my fingers, lucky rabbit's foot. It's a certainty. It's an understanding that I can have this hope. I can know this is true. And the reason I can know this is going to be true, that Jesus is going to work in my life now and Jesus is going to work in my life in the future is because it's based on God's promises and God's promises never fail. And so I'm able to have hope because of what Jesus is doing and what he's going to do. And we need to see and ask ourselves this, is the thing that I'm putting my hope in or the things that I'm putting my hope in able to attain and sustain what I'm hoping it will do? Can it attain to what I'm hoping it will do? Because the thing we need to understand, if we're putting our hope in a job or in a degree or in somebody else, we're never going to attain what we want from that because we're never meant to attain um, our satisfaction, our joy, and all of that from something. We're meant to attain that from someone. And then ask the question, can it sustain what I'm hoping it will do? The reality of it is that nothing but God can sustain our hope. Nothing but God can, can, can support our hope. Nothing but God can do that. And you've heard me make the comment before, you know, people always say money can't buy you happiness. And I've told you this before, but if money can't buy you happiness, then you're not spending it right, right? Because the reality of it is money can buy you happiness, but the problem with it is it can't sustain that happiness. So it's what we're hoping for and what we're putting our hope in, is it able to attain what we're hoping for and is it able to sustain what we're hoping for? That's a huge question. Because he says this hope, this hope in Jesus is able to give us endurance, able to keep us going able to keep us stepping, able to keep us moving so that we have the worst day of our life, even though we are hurt, even though we are distraught, even though we may mourn, even though we may go through hell, it feels like on earth. The thing that we can always take hope in is that one day God through Jesus is going to wipe away every tear from our face and there will be no more death, there will be no more dying, there will be no more pain because Jesus has overcome all of that and it will be established one day and so I have an expectation of what Jesus is doing now but also what Jesus is going to do in the future and it gives me strength during difficult times it also gives me courage to share the gospel because when I stand up here and I open this book or I'm sharing my faith with someone um, at a hunting club or I'm sharing it with someone at a ballpark or I'm sharing it with somebody hopefully not that I work with because hopefully all of them are saved but for you um, maybe somebody that you work with um, that maybe there's a few of them I think might need to meet Jesus but anyway I'm kidding but 
reality of it is I can have courage in sharing my faith. Why? Because my hope is in Christ and he's working now and he's going to work in the future. So we are a people, church, who've been set apart by God through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the love of a heavenly father, through the work of Jesus, so that we all have a significant role to play and a responsibility to play in the work of God and in the work of his kingdom. And we need to see, we need to measure, we need to ask ourselves as a church and as an individual, are we, um, are we, are we showing that our faith is alive? Is our faith or is our works proof of our faith? We need to be, be recognizing, do I have love and affection for God and for others? And have I got endurance for the race? Because I'll be honest with you, there's so many people in here today, you've quit on the church. You've been hurt by the church or you became disillusioned by the church. But I'm challenging you, I'm encouraging you, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. The church is still glorious. The church is still the hope of the world. The church, when it is what it is designed to be and functioning the way it was designed to function, it is unstoppable and an unstoppable force for spreading the good news of Jesus, that salvation has come to all men who put their faith in Christ as he has taken our sin upon himself so that we could then be forgiven. And so we need to see this. But where are we at with this? What does it look like for us? I want to end today, and I want to tell you a quick story and, and uh, tie it into maybe where you're at. But I was hunting one day, or hunting, um, would probably be how I would say it normally. I was hunting, and uh, I was in some, an area that I didn't know very well. And I was, I went walking through the woods. My dad went one way, I went another. I ended up just uh, getting completely lost, like had no idea where I was. And so I realized though that like it's gonna get dark before too long. I can't just stop, I can't just sit down um, or I'm not gonna get out of here. So I just kept walking. I kept walking and walking, seemed like forever. And finally I come to this gravel road and I, I've got a shotgun on my shoulder and I'm walking down this gravel road um, just by myself wondering, am I ever gonna see my family again, right? I was only like. 12, 13 years old at the time. And I'm wondering like, okay, I'm gone forever. And, and all of a sudden this guy comes pulling up in this little Toyota truck and he stops beside me. Keep in mind, I have a shotgun on my shoulder. He stops beside me and goes, you need a ride? And I was like, I wouldn't have picked me up on this road out in the middle of nowhere if I didn't have a shotgun right? He's picking me up with a shotgun. And so I'm like, well, I got a shotgun. I guess I can ride with him. And so I get in the truck and, and, and start to ride. And then it dawned on me, like I've got a shotgun. If he's willing to pick me up, what does he have? Right? <laughs> and I was like, oh man, there's no telling. I didn't keep expecting him just to be like, you know, I was like, he's just going to put my body out here somewhere. Nobody's ever going to find me. And and, and so I realized like I might be in trouble, but, but this guy ended up taking me and I told him, I described where we had been hunting and, and where we had started out and he took me um, to that place and, you know, and everything was fine. But, but the reality of it was I was lost, man. I was lost and I didn't know which way to go, which way to turn. I, I, all I knew is that I got to keep stepping. I got to keep walking. And my question out of that is this, like, are you in that place spiritually where you're just lost? Like, you just don't even know which way to turn. 
Because I can tell you this, if you're in that place, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, the place to turn is to Jesus. The thing to do is to put your eyes on him. The thing to do is to fix your gaze upon the one who gave it all for you and to surrender all to him. We read or sang the song earlier, I surrender. We sang, I surrender all, but do we? Do we really? Have you really? Listen, the, the very first thing we talked about with the love, have you come to a place of salvation? Do you know Jesus? Are you in a relationship with God through Christ? If not, is God speaking to your heart today that today's the day that you come to faith in him? He's drawing you to himself. You know he's knocking on the door of your heart. And you would say yes to him today. And you have that opportunity. Because that's one of the biggest things we're about is seeing people come to faith in Christ. And if God's speaking to your heart today, in just a minute, I'm going to ask you that you would respond. And I want you to raise your hand up high in just a moment. Just say, yes. I want his relationship with Jesus. Remember, this is, this is the biggest decision you ever make. And if God's speaking to your heart, I encourage you to respond. So I'm going to ask you, today's the day of salvation for you. You say yes to Jesus. Not yes to religious activity, but yes to Jesus who comes into our heart and changes our heart and gives us new life. You would say yes to him today for the first time. I'm going to ask you right now, would you raise your hand up high and let us celebrate with you? This is not something to be ashamed of. It's something to celebrate. It's you taking your first step of faith in following Jesus. Today he said, I don't have a relationship with him, but I want one. All right. Then the next thing I want to do is I want to ask you, what is it in your life that needs to be surrendered? What is it in your life that needs to be let go? It's an unhealthy relationship. Is it letting your job be an idol in your life? Something you're worshiping with your time and your energy? Maybe you've been selfish to your spouse. I don't know, I'm just throwing some things out there to get you thinking. But I'd like to ask you to let God speak to your heart and show you show you what it is that he's calling you to lay down. In just a minute, I'm going to pray. I'm going to give you opportunity as we do to come to the front and pray. To take a step of faith and to come up here. And I just believe that when you act physically on what God's doing in you spiritually, somehow it seems to cement what God's doing. You can come and spend time here praying as you surrender to the Lord. I know there's a lot of people in here and it's crowded, but they'll be glad to get out of your way so that you can come up here. And you're moving, may give them the freedom to move. But I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask you to respond. Respond and surrender. Their hearts would be moved by God and that we wouldn't settle for idleness, 
that we be doers and doers of the word and workers for the kingdom. So let's pray and you can move. God, we thank you for life and for love and for grace. Lord, I pray that you would just speak to our hearts. God, we need you. More than anything else, we need you, Lord. We come today to surrender to you. I pray for those who come to the front today, Lord, that as they take a step of faith and they physically demonstrate what they're feeling spiritually, I pray that you'd meet them right where they are, God. Let them experience your love and your grace and the power of who you are. Lord, I pray for the people in their seats who are surrendering things to you right now, Lord. I pray that you would speak to their hearts and just take the burdens from them, Lord. Take the burdens. Give them strength. Give them hope. Give them peace, Lord, to do all that you have in mind for them. Father, we love you and we thank you for loving us, for the grace you give us. Thank you for the sins you've forgiven. Thank you for being the Lord of our life that guides us and leads us. In the awesome name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.